2: Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after-hours action. chairs of Zoom, the stock turning positive after its earnings report as the company's conference call gets underway. We're on that call, muted, of course, and we'll bring you all the big headlines from the quarter. Plus, a big call on crypto. Bitcoin just did something it hasn't done in over a year. And our own Bitcoin baller, BK, says the worst may be behind it. And later, the great Hollywood comeback. Shares of AMC rallying again today as the company sells new shares. Pop the popcorn because we are diving into that trade straight ahead. We start off with the big return. America getting back to pre-pandemic life in a big way. The TSA is screening more than 7 million flyers over the weekend. The most since March 2020 movie theaters raking in nearly 100 million dollars nationwide this weekend. The biggest box office since the start of the pandemic and 135,000 people flocking to the Indy 500 over the weekend. The biggest sporting event since early last year. So travel is back. Going out is back. Sports are back. We're back. We're back. We're back. That's right. Fast money back at the Nasdaq market site. This is the first time since the shutdown that we are back. Things are still a little bit different. Only two traders, as you can see, will be joining on set at first, but we're going to get back to normal. America is getting back to normal, so the question tonight is, how are you playing the big return, Tim? Vested
3: Seymour, what do you say? <laughs> I had to wear a vest first day back. Um, if I didn't think I'd rip my cords out, I'd come over and give you a hug. So, uh, look, it's it's an exciting time for our country. We talked about pent up demand and and to the extent that we might see an overshoot, and 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 how how will that be reflected? And we've talked many times during the pandemic when we were seeing the market rally, but the banks were dead money, uh, and the banks were dead money, and we questioned what you know something was something was off about that, and I. I think you know, ultimately banks and financial institutions are going to be the best way to be playing this recovery because, first of all, we're seeing it from all sides. We're seeing a consumer that has more cash, a better balance sheet. We don't see credit issues there. We see what's been going on in the corporate sector, the rush to markets, capital markets, et cetera. But really, you know, we're struggling with valuations everywhere, Dan. And you've talked about this, too. I mean, I think we've got a place here where, where banks are a place you can. can get involved. And it's nice to be able to, by the way, just to kind of flip it over to Dan rather than wonder if he's staring at his closet back home um, on air. Or, Or my dogs
4: or cats. Yeah, I mean, listen, you bring up the point about valuation, and we've seen major corrections in some areas where there has been some trepidation about valuations over the last year. A lot of those names are the ones we were talking about that really won the pandemic. And I know that's a really horrible way to say it, but over the last three to six months or so, investors have been saying, where else can I put my chips? And I think the financials really didn't start to get Going until we got the vaccine news, and then we had some kind of different clarity about this new administration and, and how things might go. I'll just say this: for me, what's pretty obvious. I was on a plane last night from L.A. to New York. I was on JetBlue, pretty domestically focused here. I paid more for coach seats than I've ever paid in my life, and every seat. And you're in a big spender. Well, no, I was say a guy like well, you riding, riding in the
3: back of the well, bus. It, it, it's fine. Mean, what, what I'm saying is, is that
4: every seat was taken. The airports were packed, and it was a, you know it was a great experience, even though we used to love to hate. The airlines, the other one, and this is a little counterintuitive maybe, we've all been in our homes, we've been using our cable connections for Wi-Fi, that sort of thing. I'll bet you maybe some money moves back into the at and the Verizon. We know that they're building out these 5Gs. People are out and about again. They're going to be yep. using their data services.
5: Yeah. Brian Kelly, what do you say? That's me. I, listen, I, I agree with Dan <laughs> that the airlines, are, the airports are busy. I flew last, ta- last week for the first time ever. I was a little out of practice. The TSA confiscated my Aquanet, but I got it back uh, at a buy-new bottle. But to Dan's point, it is jammed out there. Now, what does that mean for the market? We know that the, the stock market has priced a lot of this in. The data that we got today showed that, listen, manufacturing's going pretty well, but input prices are a problem. And wait a second, we, their hiring might be lower than expected. Now, that's because they probably can't find the help. So that's a little precarious of a situation when the valuations are at the level that they are. The way that I'm playing and the one thing that I'm looking for, and we're going to talk about it later on the show, but as you look at oil, because even though oil is not in the CPI, it does filter into inflation expectations. So that's something to keep an eye on here, I think.
2: Yeah, supply constraints is a big issue. Remember Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson had said that that could be the hiccup in sort of this rally back. Guy Adami, where do you see the best opportunity? We talked about airlines, airplanes being jammed up, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the right places to be.
6: No, I don't think so. And and maybe the opportunity is buying the retailer that sells that sleek vest that Tim has on. And I'm sure, Mel, you're thrilled that he is tethered to the desk so he can go over <laughs> and hug you. I mean, we're two. back five minutes. But I think... Me. I mean, yeah. yeah, I know. I apologize. I'm Thanks. sorry, Tim. I mean, I, wish I, I do wish I was there with you. I'll be there soon enough. But I think the way to play it is the way Tim talked about it. I think some of these banks still make a lot of sense. Blackstone today made a new all-time high. We've talked about that seemingly since the pandemic started, how they were probably best suited to handle everything that's going on. And, oh, by the way, the resource trade, although it has backed off, is right back on the horse once again. So the names like Cleveland Cliffs, Freeport, mcmoran U.S. Steel, I think you stay there and you want to go the industrial route. Well, Caterpillar is with the shot of an all-time high. I mean, that's the way I'm looking at this. I do think, you know, maybe the airlines, some of these le- leisure stocks have gotten a little ahead of themselves. But the names we've been talking about, we've been sort of... Um, banging the table about Mm -hmm. literally for the last year still work, in my opinion.
2: I mean, the resource trade, you heard Tesla saying that prices are going to go up on their models because of material increases, material cost increases primarily. So we're seeing it all over. I mean, we talked about it as a reflation trade. It may be an inflation trade at this point.
3: Well, and, and we've heard it from the auto companies, not just Tesla. We've heard it from a bunch of manufacturers. We heard it even in the Costco uh, yeah. call. And, and so if you listen to CEOs, they've been, they've been peppering these calls in with input costs, labor costs. Mm-hmm. Dollar today uh, basically hit those same lows that we hit a few months ago. And, and somewhere around 89, 89 and a half, we break these levels. Dollar goes a lot weaker. Guy talks about this all the time. Very inflationary. Great for the Reflation trade, great for these resources. And if you looked at CPIs last night, China CPI through you know through last month's levels, EU at PMI levels. So again, the rest of the world is waking up as yeah, well. Yeah,
4: but you guys say inflation, 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 and the only thing I know is how do you tame inflation? You raise rates. What happens when you raise rates? That dollar rallies. You guys keep saying that the dollar is going to go. It's going to a place it hasn't been in a very long time. I just think it's really interesting though. We've gotten basically to the other side of this pandemic. We had no visibility from a corporate standpoint for a very long time. There tons of liquidity that was pumped into our system. There was, not a pr- there was not a financial crisis for all intents and purposes. That's, I think, one of the okay. things that the Fed tried to do right out of the gate, you know, February, March 2000. You
2: mean to prevent the financial, to, to
4: pre- a financial crisis? To, to prevent a they weren't crisis, even close, though. Cri- uh, right. But we didn't know. And as Druckenmiller yeah, said on this true. network a couple weeks ago, we were in a black hole. So I guess my point is, for the dollar lower seems like a very one-sided trade. And if you guys are really worried about inflation, then what is the Fed going to do? They're going to at least start to taper bond Purchases, and then think about raising
3: rates. And I just don't see the dollar going too much lower. That well, it's point. been a crowded trade at times. And in fact, you know, that was something that caught people off guard. You had a 4% rally. Dollars yeah. 4.5% weaker from the place it, it rallied back. I agree with you. I, I just, do you really think the Fed's jumping in here? Yeah, but my I, only know. point is, now, is that all of
4: these corporates that are warning about inflation and input costs right now, they're looking at all-time highs in gross margins, right? I mean, and so the question is, are they going to be able to pass these costs through to their customers? And so I just kind of feel like, you know, I've been saying it on the network here for a few weeks, now, I think it's going to be we're going to look back and we're going to say this was the transitory tantrum. I think a lot of these um, inflation pressures are going to be transitory. We're going to be looking back at this period of time and saying, uh, eh, it's just back to where we were. pre-pandemic.
2: I mean, to Dan's point, Guy, I mean, yes, they can pass on to the consumer at this point because the consumer is in pretty good shape. That's what we learned throughout the pandemic. The consumer has been saving money. They are ready to spend. And so what is $6.99 for rotisserie chicken? I made that number up, by the way, at Costco, as opposed to $4.99. Not a lot of people um, are going to feel that difference who go to Costco, at least.
6: I I would push back and say, I mean, maybe they won't feel the difference, but I mean, that's the definition of inflation. I mean, that's just, I mean, if you can raise prices, that's great. And if the consumer doesn't care, that's great. And then you continue to raise prices, almost the textbook definition of what we're all concerned about. And listen, Dan coined MAGA long before President Trump pulled out the steno pad and put those four names out and magically came out with his own maggot. So I'm not going to discount his transitory tantrum, but I do think it's a little bit different. And if you heard Mohammed Aririan this morning on air said mm-hmm. very similar, and oh, by the way, echoes some of the things that uh, James Gorman said from Morgan Stanley and some of the things Stan Druckenmiller said uh, at least two and a half, three weeks ago.
2: Yeah, and I liked him how you said, what do you think the Fed's going to do? Are they going to move yeah, early? On. And you said, no, of course not. But isn't, but isn't that the consensus that you should be afraid of? Brian Kelly, you like to, you like to be the contrarian here. So is that, the, is that the consensus thought that you are worried about at this point? That, yes, nobody thinks, no one thinks that the Fed is going to do anything early.
5: What I'm worried about is when the Fed does do something that you actually don't have the demand that you think you have, that they, they, they don't have the control over the inflation that we're concerned about. And that's the part that I'm worried about. So, But to Dan's point, if we just look at what the market we have today, you have this fight between whether or not inflation is transitory, temporary, or it's permanent. I tend to lean, based on what I'm looking at, on the more permanent side. If it's on the more permanent side, then yes, you should see rates go up as people expect price-in inflationary expectations, which is not going to be good for the high valuation stocks, which is why I think that tech is lagging at this point in time. So, you know, I, I don't know if I can be completely contrarian at this point in time, but I certainly don't want to be in the tech stocks. I'd much rather be in the materials names.
2: OK, we're in we're in boxes now. And, <laughs> and normally this would be a lot easier if we were all at the Nasdaq Nasdaq. But show of hands, who thinks that inflation right now that we're seeing is transitory? Show of hands. Raise your hand if you think it's transitory. Dan Nathan's the only. I'm
3: rising oh, a, little Sorry, a little, little bit. bit. I got one and, and half. Got a half. I got one and a half here
2: on the desk. The point
4: was, when the Fed introduced quantitative easing in, in, during the financial crisis, right? And everybody and their mother were screaming about inflation that never came. And the Fed's been telling us for a year now that they're going to let inflation run hot. They have a dual mandate, right? Stable prices full employment. And they keep telling us the same thing and everyone's convinced that the Fed is always wrong and I'm not trying to take the side of the Fed. I understand that there, a lot of their policies have kind of done a lot of things that you know unintended for all intents and purposes as it relates to income inequality and that sort of thing but right now they don't have the visibility, the corporates don't have the visibility and I just kind of think we're going to get back to a place where, oh, technology is amazingly deflationary and the machines are going to take all the jobs
3: and how much UBI do we give everybody? So and I think that's fair. I think the, the issue with services inflation is something that's much more permanent, though. And I think that's something that, you know, also socially maybe very, very good um, wage gains from some of these companies that for a long time were probably underpaying mm-hmm. their folks and have the gross margins now to do it. And, and, you know, that that's good. But that's why I'm kind of this on my inflation read. I, I actually think we are going to get through uh, these one year pandemic hits. And then I think we actually lose a lot of this inflation.
2: Last quick question to button this all up. Guy, what if you're right and inflation is not transitory? What happens to the stock market? Isn't that good? Well, could wrong. it be good? I, no, I, I,
6: I don't think it's No, I don't think it's particularly good because I think what's going to wind up happening. You know, Dan made an interesting point that you know, the last time we caught wind of this, the Fed started to taper and the dollar went straight up. That's the last time. This time they could start to taper and the dollar continues to go lower because I think that genie's completely out of the bottle. You know, I think they've missed their opportunity there. So I don't think it's particularly good. I think inflation is good until a point. And I think we're going to get past that point. So under my scenario, I think it's, I I won't use the word catastrophic, but I think
5: it's really negative for the stock market. All right. Beeks, your thoughts, quick thoughts here? Yeah, I I want to be the contrarian here. I I think I think Dan's wrong on this. It's a very different environment. In two thousand eight, money went into corporations onto their balance sheets to repair it. We're giving money directly to consumers and they're spending it. That's a very different economic dynamic. And I'm on guy's side I'm more on guy's side here. I think it's a real problem. All the good parts about inflation happen first and then it gets real bad. So we've got some time here, you know, maybe come September when all the stimulus rolls off, then we'll have another, another issue. All right, well,
2: as we mentioned, this is our first day back here at the Nasdaq market Site. but the exchanges have been open for business throughout the pandemic, of course. Companies still coming to market through IPOs or SPACs. So far, the latest example, jumping more than 12 percent in its Nasdaq debut after merging with Chamath Palihapitiya's social capital SPAC, one of them at least. Let's talk more about this with Nelson Greggs, the president of the Nasdaq. Nelson, good to see you in person.
7: Great to see you and welcome back. Thank awesome, you. Awesome to have you.
2: Great to be back, even though you are a little bit far away
7: from us at this point. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll
2: get there eventually. <laughs> um, in terms of the capital markets, what have yes. you seen? We, we saw blockbuster activity in the first quarter. So what are you seeing so far to date?
7: Yeah, so it, it has been a, a remarkable year. Even if without SPACs, there's been uh, 130 operating companies go public on NASDAQ, raising almost $35 billion in capital. In, in a given year, if we see two or three deals raise a billion dollars, it's, it's a good year. This year, we've had over 10. Uh, and uh, June and July are shaped up to be very, very big months for us as well. So yeah, it is, it is definitely game on for the IPO market.
3: Nelson, first of all, thank you for having us back. Yeah. It's great to be back. And, and, and in terms of the types of companies you see in the pipeline, give us some yeah. insight into that. Because, again, a lot of people, there's been some incredibly high-profile names that have IPO'd right here. Um, and we a lot of it's been fintech. A lot yeah. of it have been kind of Internet of Things stocks. Anything that we're not expecting? Anything that you think um, sector-wise we should be watching?
7: Yeah, I wouldn't say too many that you're not expecting, but still a, a big backlog of consumer healthcare, and then technology, either enterprise or consumer tech, and, and you mentioned fintech as well. So it's more of a continuation, the same theme we've seen with, with certainly some other sectors get a, a deal here and there, but it's, it's a, a real big uh, pipeline of those kind of companies.
2: Are you seeing the types of companies change uh, with the interest rate environment and the market environment? And yeah. I'm thinking mostly of, of sort of the higher valuation you know sectors like software, et cetera, yeah. that have been clobbered in the markets.
7: Yeah, they have. But actually, the enterprise tech is uh, we have a handful of deals coming up in, uh, in June, July. their are enterprise tech and, a, and a, a pretty big slate, actually, for September, October. Um, so although their public comps have certainly taken a, taken a hit, I think if you look at where they started from a year ago, when these companies started to really think about going public now, they're still at some pretty high valuations and some attractive valuations for them to still go forward with their IPO. So it's it's going to be pretty active.
2: Is the SPAC boom Are the best stays behind it?
7: Well, I I think you have, uh, I think you all know the numbers, Uh, this this year alone we've had about 300 SPACs on NASDAQ uh, raising over $100 billion, Um, last year there were a few hundred, so really I think the the big determinant of how that market uh, plays out is going to be in 2022 and 23, because most of the deals uh, happening now were SPACs that occurred last year or even the year before, and those are starting to actually happen and, and we're seeing combinations go through. But as you know, there's been, been a pause and the SEC is looking at, um, you know, how they focus on the transparency, uh, the SPAC disclosures. So I, I wouldn't say it's 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 by any means stopped, but we have seen a, obviously a slowdown.
2: What is the biggest issue, do you think, at this point for for a SPAC to find a listing at the Nasdaq? I mean, is it is it the SEC rules? What, what is it exactly?
7: Well, I think there's plenty of companies that can find SPACs. It's more mm-hmm. if you look at all the, the SPACs out there, the sponsors looking for attractive combinations. Um, We we do hear a lot from companies getting, you know, numerous calls a week from SPACs looking to potentially do a deal with them. So I think you just have an enormous amount of uh, of sponsors out there looking for attractive companies to do business with. And, you know, it'll be we'll see how it plays out if there's that many companies that they're able to find over over time.
2: Sounds like a very challenging environment running yeah. up there, yeah. Nelson. Great to see you. Thank you so much for well, stopping well, by. Well,
7: welcome g- back, guys. And uh, it's a lot more energy here with you in the building. So,
2: <laughs> Nelson, Thanks. great, president of the NASDAQ. Great to see you.
7: See you. He's being polite. I mean, we,
3: we're we're noisy bunch here. I mean, if Guy was here, guys, good thing you're at home. I mean, when you get back, they're really gonna. You know, so the one thing I want to say about the Spac yeah. Index is, is that. Um, If if you look at, well, the SPAC index, so is up about 2% over the last 18 days. We had this period where SPACs were kind of in free fall along with high multiple stocks. you know, SPACs as a structure, as a product class, um, as a vehicle, uh, you know, people have to distinguish between a high multiple company that makes no money and a SPAC. And I'm sure people do do this. But you have to understand that what's going on with the SEC is good news for SPACs. It's, it's let's take a breath. Let's figure out how the accounting of this really works. Let's get the regulatory framework underneath it. and Let's make sure it's as transparent and safe for investors. I think that's a good thing. SPACs, I think, are here to stay.
2: I agree. But for all the SPACs that have already gone through – that will face new SEC disclosures that are are I mean basically the yeah. rules of the game sort of changed Afterwards, yeah, so.
4: I mean, listen, I think I read this morning in the FT there's 422 SPACs that have raised $135 billion that yeah. are looking for targets right now. And, you know, if you're an investor, this is kind of the fun part of this whole thing, because when a bunch of guys uh, did an IPO and they raised a bunch of money in the SPAC and then they had two years to go find a target, that's not so much fun. That's fun if you're a day trader and following some of those finfluencers, that sort of thing, you know, like to, on, what'd you say? Sort finfluencers. Of fin- fin- influencers, You know, that sort of thing. But it really is like, here's a great example. You know. Look at SoFi today. This is a company. It's a great company run by a great CEO that's now public, that was private before this um, SPAC merger is trading here on the NASDAQ. Have out it, people. I mean, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff it. to trade people. over the next year.
2: People. Have out of people. 518. Let that be marked. Coming up, Zoom staging a turnaround after its latest earnings results. We'll break down the numbers, give you the biggest headlines as a conference call gets underway. Plus, we're joined by Funstrat's Tom Lee, who's laying out his top energy pick on the back of today's big oil rally. We'll give you the names. Much more fast money live from the Nasdaq Market Site. Right after this.
8: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Zoom. Shares of the work-from-home winner moving higher in the after hours off the results. Let's get to Dia Bosa with all the details. Debo.
0: Melissa, the Zoom streak, it continues to beat the street expectations once again. Now, shares, they were initially softer in the after hours, but that's right. They did turn positive just as the call was kicking off. CEO Eric Yuan started by saying that customers are looking for hybrid solutions. As the economy reopens, he said the hybrid model is here to stay and Zoom will provide the solutions. To that end, the company has been pushing newer products that work at home and at the office like Zoom phone, Zoom rooms and events. Underscoring that point, guys, about 10 minutes into the call, Yuan even introduced Graham Geddes. He is head of Zoom phones and rooms for his first earnings call appearance. And he even demoed features like a virtual war, uh, whiteboard, excuse me. And this is really key for investors going forward. Whether Zoom can keep its relevance and move beyond video conferencing to become more of a fully formed platform. Now, of course, it is still early days for these products. And for now, the company is guiding for more moderate growth in a post-pandemic world. 50% revenue expansion expected for the full fiscal year. And just to remind you of how this company was growing during the pandemic, 300% growth in 2020. Of course, making it that work from home, darling. And guys, Zoom CFO will be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning. Don't miss her appearance. Melissa. All right. Deidre, thank you.
2: Deidre Bosa. Guy Dami, how would you trade Zoom?
6: you got to be long, I think. And Dan's probably going to hate me or at me or whatever the cool kids already do. already You know, <laughs> you can, I see that. You get a close above 340, and we've broken through this downtrend we've been in since October, and we've traded close to 600. Dan's going to at me again. But look at those operating margins, close to 42 percent. The street was at 33 percent. And oh, by the way, their full year guidance uh, far exceeded just the beat they had this quarter. So they're really telling you that things look good. I mean, this stock has obviously been beaten up. Kudos to Jeff Mills, by the way, who many months ago said you got to fade any rally, the general, correct. But I think the stock is on a different trajectory now. Through 340, I think this has a real chance to get back to the high 380s, close to 400.
2: I like this uh, You know, guy mentions that Dan's going to be mad, and yet he just yeah. goes ahead anyway because he doesn't really – care yeah. that Dan is mad at him.
4: <laughs> and that's fine, Guy Adami. But here's the thing. I think this is, you, you know, you said Mills was saying to sell every rally. I think one of my themes was that, you know, listen, we're going to be contending with decelerating growth from here on yeah. out, right? So the stock peaked, what, six to eight months ago or something like that. Sometime in the fall, it's down 45% or something like that. So now all of a sudden, what did they just guide to for this post-pandemic period? They said 50% revenue growth. It is really hard to go out and find $100 billion market cap companies right now that have 50% expected sales growth. So now I would say at 25 times sales, while well, that still seems really expensive and 20 times next year, it's a lot more reasonable than it was. And the fact that they're rolling out new product people well, to talk about new things on their call tells you that they are focused on building a platform. It's,
3: it, there's a lot more here and there's low hanging fruit, APIs, rooms, but phone. I mean, this the phone itself dynamic, I think, is a big thing for folks. And, and uh, why are you smirking? It's I mean, just funny I don't get, I don't to think to see that, that, that new,
2: a new I, product, that's true. I've been I, keeping my smirks to myself <laughs> under the cover <laughs> of anonymity. But, I mean, it's funny to just think of a new product being phone.
3: Yeah. I mean, phone is though no, on forever. But it's part of the platform right. effect that I think is, is people yeah. under-expect. Okay.
2: Up next, crude cruising to its highest level in two years today. We'll break down how our traders are playing the big move straight ahead. Plus, it's showtime. Shares of AMC popping. We'll tell you what's got investors pouring into movie theater madness. Fast Money, live at the NASDAQ Market Site, is back in two.
8: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Oil jumping two and a half percent today, and it's now up five percent in the last month. Last time he was on the show, our next guest said one oil ETF could triple if the rally continues. Now he says it's time to hodl the energy trade. Let's bring in Fundstrat co-founder and head of research, Tom Lee. Tom, great to see you.
9: Great to see you.
2: So the equating the I mean, saying hodl instead of just holding this trade implies that this is this is a trade
9: that you really, really have high conviction in. Uh, That's right. You know, 2021, our top sector pick has been energy. Uh, It's been met with a lot of skepticism, understandably, because for the last virtually 13 years, energy has been just a, a source of misery for any fund and their portfolio holdings. But energy is emerging from this winter. And in some ways, I think investors' resistance to recognizing this change is a lot like Bitcoin in 2017, where In 2017, institutional investors were really skeptical of having any allocation to crypto. But one of the things that really helped them sort of cross the Rubicon was to point out that if you look at the 10 best days in Bitcoin, if you didn't own it for the 10 best days, you'd be down 25% a year. Well, we did the same calculation for energy, and you'd actually lose 30% a year owning energy without the 10 best days. For instance, even in 2021, the 10 best days for energy are up around 38% and the other day so far this year energy's down 1%. So almost all of the 38% gain for energy has happened in the 10 best days. So I think if investors want to get involved, they need to hodl energy. Put an allocation there, kind of plug their nose, but I think that's going to deliver a lot to their portfolio.
2: Okay, I want I want to make clear though. This this also implies that you would put energy in your portfolio and not take it out because as I I mean people who hodl something are holding it for for life basically.
9: That, yes. Uh, yeah. In the time frame that I might say is uh, even three to five years, I think energy has the potential to be uh, transformative to someone's portfolio return. Because number one, as you know, uh, oil is strengthening and probably producing some of the best returns and the best supply-demand dynamics we've seen in almost 15, maybe 20 years. Energy stocks, particularly OIH, uh, the ETF, is still at a significant discount to where oil is. So OIH, this you know, which is in the 220 range, we think could get as as high as 740 this year if oil gets to 80.
4: Hey Tom, so you know, I think back to 2014, you know, when when the Fed started to taper and what had happened, the dollar started to rally, and at that same point, oil started to crash. And from the highs in 14, you know, oil went down 65 percent or something like that into 15, 16. Do you still hodl if the Fed starts to taper bond purchases at some point, maybe later this year, and starts to float trial balloons about maybe raising rates sooner than many expect? Uh,
9: That's a great question, Dan. Um, As you know, whenever the Fed tightens um, or tapers, it's the equivalent of tightening. It's a headwind for all risk assets. So I I think it's going to be incorrect for someone to say, the Fed tapers and uh, the stock market's going to brush it off. It's going to create turbulence. Now, that's a big if if the Fed tapers. But I think that the crowded trades are the ones that are actually going to be uh, suffering the most. So technology to us, which we downgraded to neutral about a month ago, is still falling on that slope of hope, um, whereas energy is under-owned. So I think if the Fed is indeed tapering and it, and it hits risk on assets, I think it's going to be worse for technology.
5: BK, you got a question? I do. So, so Tom, I'm long oil, and, and certainly the fundamentals support it. But if you're talking about hodling or what we might call diamond, hams in the, diamond hands in the, crypto, in the crypto world, which is hodling, hodling it for too long here, how do you think about that when it comes to inflationary expectations? Because it seems to me that if oil <laughs> is going to start to rally, and let's say it starts to rally towards 80, 90, 100 dollars, when does that inflationary
9: issue come in, and does that then hurt equities? Uh, great point, Brian. As you know, they always say for commodities, the best cure for high prices is high prices. But we have to remember, it really is because it starts to crowd out other spending. Gasoline today uh, needs to get to around five, maybe five fifty, before it matches the four dollars in the prior eleven years ago when it actually created some crowding or uh, hurt demand. So I think you've got a huge runway, actually. I think oil at 80 is hardly a problem. It's more of a reflationary signal. And again, I just think the market has already panicked and it's done the job for the Fed. One way to look at it is, if inflation expectations are really strengthening, the 10-year should be much higher than its March highs. And in fact, at 1.6, it's still well off its March highs.
2: That's something that uh, we have all been puzzling about, certainly. Tom, great to see you. Thank you.
9: Great. Thanks for having me.
2: Tom Lee, a fun strat. Guy Dami, I go to you. Do you agree with Tom's thesis? Hodl. Yeah, I do. Energy and we talked about
9: this. Yeah, well,
6: Well, look, first of all, yes is the short answer, number one. <laughs> Tim can talk about the cr- incredible move in names like Slumberger and Halliburton. I think Slumberger still has room to the upside. And we've said this a number of times that if Tom is right, which I happen to think he is, the lever names are going to do really well. And PSX, by the way, it close above half, 89, and that sucker's 100 in a heartbeat. They're speaking at a conference tomorrow. But something dawned on me before we go to break. This is genius, by the way, and he happens to be a huge fan of the show. Brett Favre should do the ads for hodlers only on Wednesdays. And, Brett, if you're watching, I'll share in the royalties because
3: it's genius if you think about it
2: because it's fine. Okay,
3: all right, Tim. Yes, no, Brett's definitely a big fan of the show. Brett's also a fan of companies, energy companies that are investing uh, very little in in their future. How popular, or think about the politics around in some of these big CEOs throwing a lot of money into CapEx and OpEx. No, they're running their businesses for equity shareholders, for cash, for here and now. And the lack of investment means that these companies are going to be that much more valuable in two years. In other words, prices are going a lot higher. So EOG, Chevron, love Schlumberger. He's right on the OAH. I think it's going a lot higher. All
2: right, coming up, grab your popcorn. Cheers of AMC popping again today. The stock is now up more than... 1,400% just this year, what the company just did that sparked this show-stopping rally. Plus, something just happened to Bitcoin that hasn't happened in over a year. And BK says it could point to the worst being over for the recent crypto collapse. He will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of AMC soaring more than 22% today after the theater chain sold $230 million worth of shares to an investment firm, which then sold those shares. Let's get to Kate Rooney for the details. Kate. Hey,
10: Melissa. AMC getting a lot of love from the Reddit crowd after this new capital raise today. The movie theater chain selling 8 million shares to Mudrick Capital Management. AMC says it'll use that cash for upgrading theaters and paying down debt, as well as some potential M&A. But according to reports from Bloomberg News, Mudrick already sold all of its stake in AMC at a profit. Mudrick didn't respond to CNBC's request for comment. And AMC's 1,000% rally this year has largely been attributed to some of that hype on social media. It's the most mentioned name today on Reddit, according to data firm Thinknum. And CEO Adam Aaron has really been embracing this trading frenzy. AMC also sold shares earlier this year to raise cash in a similar deal. This morning, Aaron tweeting about the stock sale, trying to really rally investors online and painting AMC as an underdog. He says, quote, in our view, this is not mindless dilution. He calls it a very smart way of raising cash and says, watch out naysayers. AMC is, quote, going to play on offense again.
2: Melissa, back to you. What a story. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. And um, Adam Aaron has taken advantage of this trading frenzy, but he has also brought the company to a place it needed to be in terms of paying down debt, yeah. raising more capital in order to weather the, the next, I don't know, how many days until we're fully back to normal. Some could call him a genius in the way he navigated this whole Reddit frenzy.
3: Well, he, he's, he's taken the tailwind and he's used it and he's, he's playing offense. And playing offense, we've said this on the show. Karen said it. We brought this up a few different times. Get out there and raise capital. And when they raised capital at nine bucks a share, um, we applauded that raising capital at30 dollars a share or wherever it was at the time uh, they did this transaction um, even smarter so so and at different times whether it's a company not comparing them but but a Tesla when raising money and improving the balance sheet because their growth that's a growth capital story um, is is again it almost becomes self-fulfilling and gets them to the other side look I don't think AMC's business is ever coming back in the way it once was I do think they can be opportunistic and maybe there are theater chains they can pick up uh, but the life we knew before the broken company before COVID, I, I don't think suddenly mends its ways.
2: There's a filing, by the way, in which Adam Aaron said that they were looking at a couple of uh, picking up some locations, primarily on the West Coast in terms of distressed theater chains that are not locations that will not reopen. Hey, hey now. note to
4: self, this was a distressed theater chain before it got right, wrapped uh, up right. into a <laughs> stock market frenzy that has nothing to do with fundamentals. And I don't mean to sound angry about it, but if you're you looking at other situations that are similar to this, This is not fundamental. This is uh, this is a frenzy. We're going to look back at this This was a zero last year. This stock and the market cap was basically nothing relative. But part of that part of that
2: calculation wasn't was the debt level. And now that debt level went from here down. Right. right? So because of all the, the capital, so hasn't come it back changed? in,
4: Mel, I, I, you know, like, like before the pandemic, people were calling the end of movie theaters. So it's, sure. it's not like that's, we're, yeah. so we're going to get this surge because people are going to go see Cruella and all this other stuff. Right. And then they're going to stop going to movie theaters again. So, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's not fundamental.
2: That's that's the question. You know, AMC may have transformed AMC in terms of the yeah. capital structure, but AMC still exists in an industry that may, in fact, be on a secular decline, permanent secular decline. Guy
6: Dami, where do you fall on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Dan hit the nail on the head. I think Tim did as well. And I'm not to suggest the stock can't continue to go higher from here. I mean, we've seen this before. Clearly, there are greater forces at work. But the business model hasn't changed. Like, the the things that were ailing AMC and the rest of the movie chains prior to the pandemic have not gone away. The only thing that's gotten better is their financial situations, their balance sheet, which is great. But I don't know how that rectifies the underlying problem. Again, I don't know where the stock goes from here. But at a certain point, to Dan's last uh, last thing he said, fundamentals will matter.
2: So I don't know where you fall on this, BK. But it seems like I mean, it seems like it was a win-win-win situation here, right? I mean, AMC sold to Mudrick shares at a three point eight percent or so premium to Friday's close. Mudrick then sold those shares today at a at a profit, so they won. So everybody is winning right. here. Winning, Who's holding the bag. I say rhetorically. Well, whoever bought
5: those shares, right? Remember, you know, just because Mudrick sold them, somebody bought them, right? It's just not it's not a one-way street here. So what I would say is it's genius financial engineering, but for the youngsters out there on Reddit— remember this day june 1st 2021 when this happened because this does not happen at bottoms this is what happens at tops now i'm not calling a top of the stock market i have no idea where amc stocks goes right now but you can only do these type of maneuvers when you're in a stock market frenzy so i'm with angry dan and i like angry dan it's good to have him back
3: they, they're, they're listening. Can you imagine they're right now listening to BK calling, calling them youngsters? Yeah. And, and they're I mean, they're calling you pops right now, I'm sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> no, I did Coming, that on purpose. <laughs> I know you did.
2: <laughs> Coming up after a rocky week of trading, our crypto baller BK says the worst might be over for Bitcoin. He'll break down his case as we head out a message from CNBC's social media producer, Ashley Turner, as CNBC celebrates Pride Month.
0: Never be afraid to be yourself, like fully embrace yourself. I took so long to come to the conclusion of who I am and it really kind of held me back trying to fit someone else's mold. I obviously do not do that now. Like, do not be afraid to embrace your identity. It's who you are, it's what makes you so special and nothing can take that from you.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Bitcoin pulling back today, but holding above that 36000 level. Bitcoin, though, down 37% over the past month. And our resident Bitcoin baller, BK, says the worst of the recent sell-off could be over. BK, explain.
5: Yeah, so for me, when you look at Bitcoin, it's all about network effect and really about address growth. So one of the key metrics that I look at when I'm managing crypto money is how fast addresses are growing versus what the market is expecting uh the addresses to grow so what we're looking at right now in the charts that i brought along are address growth is basically flat but the market is implying that we're going to have a decline of almost 20 percent in address growth we haven't seen that type of differential since march of 2020 and generally when the when bitcoin gets that mispriced it is the sign of that bottoming process. And so we look back to March of 2020 when we had a massive divergence. That was when Bitcoin was 3500 and it and it roared to $60,000. we are looking at the exact same type of situation here where it looks like Bitcoin's trying to bottom. The market is mispricing what's going on underneath the, under, the fundamentals underlying Bitcoin.
2: How much conviction, BK, do you have in this interpretation of your charts? In that, are you adding? I mean, I know you're probably pretty long, but do you think that this yeah. is an opportunity? <laughs>
5: I do. I do. I, I mean, I, I, I personally added to our fund this month because I think it's that big of an opportunity in the fund. We are long and getting longer. Now, what I would like to see, obviously, Bitcoin's very momentum driven. So now we need to see some price follow through here and get that momentum going. Uh, but to me, the story hasn't changed one bit. Right. We we're getting institutional adoption. Uh, we're getting as an inflationary hedge. And regulatory-wise, we're getting um, watered-down regulatory. It's not going to be banned. We're talking about bringing it into the fold. Those are all positive things for me. And that, to me, is reflected in that mispricing. So Beaks,
4: how important are the technicals? I mean, obviously, you're looking at some metrics that you've used in the past to kind of guide um, your thought process for future performance. You know, Carter Braxton Worth, he is in the pantheon of technical analysts here. He's seeing lower lows here, man, and that was a panic low of about 30,000 a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, and he sees that if it breaks there, that maybe you get back to that 2017-18 peak near 20,000. Could that technical setup plus maybe some some regulatory um, headlines with some teeth kind of draw it back back down to those levels.
5: Yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't know if 30,000 was the low. I have pretty high conviction that it was. Um, but Bitcoin is a funny way of you know, making you look silly. Uh, listen, if it got down to 20,000, I'd be buying with both of my diamond hands for sure. Uh, but technicals are important when it comes to Bitcoin uh, because it's difficult to value. It's very much like the foreign currency markets. Technicals play a very big role. And that's why I mentioned I want to see the momentum follow on here, right? Because momentum is kind of that first signal that the technicals are turning. All right.
2: Up next on Cloud9, shares of Cloudera surging after the company inked a more than $5 billion deal to go private. We'll tell you how the options traders are getting in on this move. We are back in two.
8: Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Subscribe to the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Miss a moment. All
2: right, check out CloudSaw Cloudera soaring more than 23% after announcing a takeover deal by investment firms KKR and Clayton Worth, $5.3 billion at $5.3 billion. A deal would value Cloudera at $16 a share. That news driving bullish options activity and other cloud names. Let's bring in Mike Coe with the action. Mike.
1: Yeah, so I was taking a look at Box, which traded about four times as many calls as puts on 150% of its average daily call volume today. And the most active options were the June 24 strike calls. About 4,500 of those traded for approximately $0.82. Buyers of those calls are obviously making the bet that it's going to rise above that $24 strike price by at least the $0.82 in premium that they spent. That would push the stock above the 52-week high that it achieved the first week of April. Now, just in terms of valuation, if we compare these two companies, they're actually fairly close to one another. And basically, the way I look at it, if you're seeing evaluation, if someone thought Box might be a potential target, and that has been discussed going back to March, maybe a 15% premium just based on the Cloudera terms, but I don't know that they're that close in comps. Maybe there's a little bit more of a premium to this one, but we're looking at modest upside over the course of the next couple of
2: weeks. All right, uh, Dan?
1: Yeah, we were talking about $100 billion enterprise company Zoom
4: trading at 25 times sales. These two companies trade about four and a half times sales. So, no premium being taken private here, like not a particularly high premium. No. That doesn't really speak a whole heck of a lot for some of the valuations in the space.
3: No, and, and actually, I mean, Box had a really, really good numbers. They had a beat, they had a raise, they, they talked about bookings, and, and it's a story where at least you know a business we're waiting to see gain some traction, though, is gaining some.
2: Yeah, by the way, one of the takeout firms, Clayton Dubelier and Rice, so I, I might have misspoken there. Um, for more options actually be sure to tune to the full show Friday 5:30 p.m. Eastern time up next final trade All the memories and all the stupid things we used to do. <laughs> we you know we Zach, we were, continue. We've been pretty
3: stupid. That, that looked fun though. I mean, I you know, let's get back to
2: that. And we could do it again. We can do it again, guys, because we are back. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Guy Dami.
6: NASDAQ all-time high today. We're back at the Nasdaq. Makes perfect sense. BK
2: Brian Kelly.
5: Yeah, I can't wait to be back there, but oil XOP, the oil producers, you buy that one. Tim Seymour.
3: Yeah, BK, Tom Lee, Tim Seymour. Royal Dutch Shell, I think the integrated, they have a lot of exposure here. Again, a company that gives you not just a dividend yield, but a place to play on some profits. Dan Nathan? Yeah,
4: Tom Lee has been on fire with that epicenter trade, so I get it in the oil thing. I would say JetBlue. Here's one where high oil maybe not so great, but this thing's breaking out here above that prior high.
2: All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money.
8: What's on the horizon for financial markets?